0: Hello and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. To order. <laughs> I'd like to welcome you all to SACPA, to the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. I would remind you to turn off your cell phones, please, if they are not already turned off. Uh, My name is Sean Ward. I'm standing in today for Klaus Jericho, who uh, arranged the the talk but is is unable to be here. I would remind you uh, that the basket in the center of the table is for your $10 for the lunch. And I would remind you, please, to uh, nominate someone uh, to to make sure that all the $10 are, are in the basket. I would uh, remind you also that SACPA is a volunteer organization, non profit, and relies on the contributions of members uh, to continue its work. And memberships are available from Lisa. Where, where's Lisa? Lisa is, is here. I would like to thank our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for their support and for their distribution of notices for Country Kitchen uh, catering, for the, for the lunch that they will be providing to us, and to Shaw TV for broadcasting the sessions on Sundays at 4.30, which reminds me to remind you that this session is being uh, videotaped and is being recorded. Uh, you, those of you who have been here for many, many years understand the format. 25 to 30 minutes each for the presenter, and then we have a 30-minute lunch, and then a question period to follow. So we should be finished around one thirty. So it is now my honor, Judy, to introduce the speaker for today and the topic for today. The topic for today is, where did the nuclear industry go wrong? Now, the, uh, you've all received, I believe, the, the outline, but I'll, I'll read it for the, the tape. When it comes to energy, there seems to be a very large gap between scientific, economic, and environmental facts. On the one hand, uh, the facts on the one hand and what the general public believes on the other hand. There's a gap between what uh, the, the facts are and what the general public believe. While the public can be excused because of all the energy technologies involved are very complex much more complex than they appear on the surface, the people behind each of these technologies have contributed in a significant way to the existence of many of these gaps of information. This presentation today will focus on one of the largest gaps, that which exists about nuclear power. The gap will be identified, the causes and especially the consequences of this gap will be analysed. Our speaker is known to many of you It's Cosmos Vucinos, and Cosmos Vucinos is a mechanical engineer, graduated from the University of Waterloo and McMaster University. He specializes in energy conversion systems, in particular, conversion to elect- electrical energy. He has worked in various capacities in the design, construction, and manufacturing of equipment, and the operation of energy conversion facilities for most energy technologies. This list includes nuclear and fossil fuel fired power plants, as well as a variety of renewable energy projects. In the nuclear power field, he has participated as a design engineer, as a construction manager, as a manufacturer of nuclear equipment, and as a techno-economic consultant. His work has brought him from Canada to the USA, Taiwan, China, South Korea, Japan, and Belgium. He has been a member of the Canadian Nuclear Association, the organization of CANDU Industries, and the Canadian Nuclear Society. At present, he retains his Alberta uh, professional engineering membership. Over his 40-year working career, Cosmos has got to know not only the energy technologies involved, but also the people and the social structures behind them. I'd like to welcome Cosmos Vucinos to address us on this topic.
1: I suppose one of the advantages of being old and retired is that one can stand up and be constructive... ...without being afraid of losing a contract or losing a job. Can you hear me now? Okay. So, many times we're called to make decisions. But when the topic is too complex we tend to guess a gut feeling and carry on. Effectively, what we do, we throw a dice. Now, our energy involves an enormous amount of infrastructure. It takes decades to implement any change. As a result, when we need to make a decision about energy, no matter how simple it seems... Throwing the dice can have very serious consequences. Like going around saying, I am in favor of the transmission line, or I am against it, without going through the details to see all the implications each option has. It's kind of, I think, irresponsible. The details have to be... Start from a broad spectrum, including everything, environmentally, economically, and technically, and narrow it down and analyze it in every detail before you make a decision. This is not a crap game. Here, because it seems to be coming one, because people approach this very serious problem with uh, emotions, ideologies, guessing, conflicting business interests, or even politics. And that will have very serious consequences 20, 30 years from now to our children. And we have an obligation to do the right job. Here I'll give you an example of making, throwing the dice or some very simple decision so you can appreciate the magnitude of it. Originally, I'll take the high-efficiency light bulb. We all know that. Well, originally, it was thought that the light bulb was more efficient because it converts more electricity into light and less electricity into heat as the incandescent light bulb is doing, and it does that it's true. it 's do- true it it, We can have about one thirty consumption of uh, electricity, which it was interpreted that it will consume one thirty fuel so it will emit one third of the co2 and this is correct now. Correct up to a point because the heat that the incandescent lamps do not produce in the winter, our furnace will have to produce. But that's another story. Now, surprise though, the incandescent light bulbs contain mercury, and that's a hazardous toxic material. So, what have we achieved environmentally? Instead of throwing CO2 to our environment, we throw mercury. Is that an improvement? In Germany, they decided to treat it as a hazmat, which is a hazardous material, and they started, but that includes to get collected in special containers, put it through a, a, a fully environmentally controlled factory in order to, to, to process it. That, what does it do? It costs money, energy, and emits CO2. Now they try, the Germans try to figure out whether they have any gain out of going to the high efficiency um, light bulbs. So uh, when during last year, during the civic elections, I was was in the city college and I was, some ideologues were distributing high efficiency light bulbs. And the point was to make the point of environmental responsibility. Just think about it. We are having people that have no idea what they are talking about. They have not done their homework, yet they are trying to tell us what is the right thing to do. With just anything, no matter how simple, to come back to my original point of energy, we cannot throw the dice. We have to study it in every detail. So... If we're going to get it right, then we have to play the science game without tossing the dice. If Ask yourselves, who wins if we get it right? It's, it's the people. So, yet, I see a growing gap between the scientific facts and popular beliefs for all the energy technologies, not just one or two nuclear, it's all the technologies have huge gaps in what they understood the people and what's actually happening. You can start from coal, and go all the way to everything in between to the renewables. People don't understand what's happening. You think you're going to put a windmill and everything will be hunky-dory. It doesn't work that way. There are much more complex issues. The problem is that the fearful ideas and the ideologies spread much faster than scientifically valid ideas, usually because the truth is long and complex, and it cannot be summarized in a marketing slogan just like that. Now, to get to the topic that we have to deal with today, the largest information gap that I have noticed is with the nuclear energy. It seems to be the gap between the radiation science and the popular perceptions of the dangers of nuclear power. On the one side, I see people living happily all their lives in a relatively high radiation environment, and on the other, I see being afraid of relatively very low doses of radiation, I see 90,000 people in Fukushima right now being evacuated, allegedly to be protected from a radiation field, which simple arithmetic tells me that it is lower than the natural background radiation that we have in several other populated areas on this earth. I see on the one side people worried to get within 10 kilometers from Chernobyl, and on the other side I find that for the last 20 years there are people working in there, inside the sarcophagus, that's the concrete closure of the accident area, which the radiation levels can be classified with today's criteria as suicidal. I see in Japan on the other side preventing the evacuees from returning to their homes to their, and their lives. And on the other side, they see people exposed to 15 times the amount of radiation that they would get if they would stay... Uh, excuse me, I lost my, my notes here. Fifteen times as strong radiation fields to build up their immune system. I see others absorb comparable amounts of radiation bathing in the radium hot springs. Have you ever thought how much radiation is there relative to what a, rad- a nuclear plant is emitting? I see a lot of people who want to ignore the fact that humanity is living and evolving while bathing in a continuous pool of radiation. We ignore the fact that every second, our lives, each one of us, experiences about 1,000 atoms disintegrating in our body, and each integra- disintegration emits radiation. The air we breathe contains radioactive particles. The water we drink contains radioactive particles. The stones, everything emits each, to each other. You emit radiation right now. Finally, by not lasting, I see people installing granite countertops in their kitchens that almost triples the background of radiation yet they are concerned about the radiation clouds dispersed from Japan. The question I'm asking is why there is such a large gap in our knowledge in a communication era in a society a large knowledge about radiation? Who has contributed to it and what are the consequences? This I will attempt to summarize within a limited time that I have. The first point that i like to touch is the point of culture. When we talk about a culture, we normally refer to various countries, how they think, the vocabulary they use, their history, the values they share, etc. But the same elements and concepts of culture can also be extrapolated to include people grouped not by nationality, but as a province, as a city, as an industry, or even as a company. Altogether, uh, culture forms the focus points that define the values and hence the direction we follow. I will leave this plate up here so I can give you an example of cultures. There doesn't seem to be such a thing as wrong culture. We have here the cultures, the academic culture, for instance, as an example. is collegiality, good facilities, receiving funding, prestige, tenure, disengaged from the public in some way, doesn't concern them that much. Theoretical thinking, academic excellence, the bureaucratic works down process correctness, procedures, providing funding, regulations, tax incentives, eluding the public, rigid thinking, centers of excellence. In the business world, we have competitiveness, investment, minimizing taxes, marketing, cost benefit, profit, public sensitivity, practical thinking, goal to strive for. So the mentality, the focusing points are different and are culture is making us see things different from each other. That doesn't seem to be a wrong culture. Don't misunderstand me that. There are only different cultures, and each culture has developed in such a way, depending on the challenges they face in the environment they are existing. And also, it does not mean that each culture doesn't have its independent thinkers. The problem is that within a group, we have a polarization process that makes us, all the groups think alike critical thinking is very dangerous to one's career. The nuclear world in the early 30s was the property of academics doing theoretical research. Later on, government-owned organizations were developed to do the engineering work. Consequently, the nuclear industry developed into a culture that was a mixture of a bureaucratic academic nature with priorities to excellence, collegiality, blind adherence to process, finding funding, rigid thinking, and insensitivity to public needs. In the examples that I will give you later, you might recognize these characteristics again and again because values determine our decisions. Had the nuclear industry been more sensitive to public opinion and feelings and had it employed more practical thinking instead of sticking to the rigidity of process, today we will not likely have all the conflicting information that has created the enormous gap and a reason of radiophobia in the public. The bureaucratic academic culture, it was very good in producing excellent systems, processes, and equipment, but as long as the various governments were guaranteed the financing of projects, everything was going fine. When the government started getting out of this business, the nuclear industry proved to be incapable of selling itself or explaining itself. That was one part of the problem of the GAP. The other problem of the GAP was the anti-nuclear people. I just refuse to call them environmentalists myself because I believe that they conveniently have hijacked this world to serve their purpose. Every one of us is and has the obligation and duty to be concerned about the environment. These idealists discovered the fact that in the nuclear industry believed in their technology, and they did not waste their time to fight back misinformation. Hence, they could say anything they wanted to, without imp- total impunity. Most of them were not scientists, and those few that were scientists were indoctrinated with ideologies. Anti-nuclear, or anti-anything, is a dogma. It is it's an ideology. It is not a science-based argument. Anti-anything. In the 70s, we saw the rise of the pseudo-intellectuals that distributed fear-mongering. They did research in a biased way by selecting only data that supported their dogma that they were advancing. They were becoming speaker-paid and has membership fees, and donations started coming in, giving them incentives to expand, and the rest is history. A plethora of information was floated about. Although the nuclear industry wants to blame the so called environmentalists, they have failed themselves to recognize that their inaction allowed the anti nuclear movement to grow, leaving the population unprotected, vulnerable, and increasingly misinformed. I would catalog more responsibility to the nuclear industry in action than to the actions of the anti nuclearists. Now, what happened here? We have the culture, and then on the other side we have the, the, the anti-Nugric people. What happens, he brought the industry into a defense, and how did they defend it themselves is by clamping and making it more and more and more and more demanding the criteria for safety. To the point that it become highly unrealistic and highly uh, inachievable. Think about it. In Ontario they passed a legislation leg- that makes it illegal, effectively, to pour a bottle of scotch in Lake Ontario because of the radiation that contains the bottle of scotch. Now, th- th- if that makes sense to you, okay. So, the people involved are brilliant scientists and engineers, but they have failed the public in the social areas. Here I will give you some, some example. Number one, they failed to see nuclear power from the public's perspective. And as a result, they did not simplify their explanation to make the technology better understood. It has been more important to them to be exact and accurate in every detail. Result, when a reporter is confused, they're going to ask a question. By the time he finishes hearing the answer, he is ten times as confused. That doesn't say help anybody. They introduce unnecessarily a vocabulary that compounded the public's fear and misunderstanding. Words that describe, for example, criticality or sarcophagus could have been chosen so that they don't frighten the public, and they can have it much easier terminology. They did not. They introduced about 200 different units for radiation. But one, each one has its own purpose and meaning. But this does not help the public to place radiation into perspective. If I tell you any number of the units of radiation, you would know what it is. It is I mean, you don't, if you go to a store to buy something, you know if it's expensive or cheap based on the frame of reference you have. You don't have any frame of reference for radiation to compare, so giving a unit one trillion millisieverts, it doesn't mean anything to you. So how can you appraise it? Finally, the International Commission have been using for the last four years unrealistic safety criteria based on arbitrary recommendations that include extreme safety values, and they keep decreasing them and decreasing them continuously. Only now, post Chernobyl and Fukushima has the industry realized the impact of such regulations. Let me expand a little bit to some of the topics. Radiation, as we know, it, is just a simple transfer of energy from one body to another. And hence, the frequency and the amount of energy varies and so varies in name. We can call it radio, music, we can call it infrared rays, cell phone waves, visible light, UV rays, isotope rays, microwave, x-rays, Medical diagnostics, the sun, all are forms of radiation. I will give you some detailed numbers at some point and you will see. Okay. That's the units. Oh, okay. So, what, what do we know about radiation? We know that a person that uses the earphones too loud for long periods of time can suffer more damage than getting an X-ray because the amount of energy that it gets into his ears is much higher than the amount of energy that gets in an X-ray. So it is normal for the body to react. A hit on the head with a steel pipe has more energy than a slap, so it causes more damage. So at very high doses of energy the radiation can cause damage and can kill. We know that. It is not denying that. We also know that humanity has evolved on this earth exposed to low levels of radiation called background radiation. That exists. We can deny that. This includes the sun, the cosmic rays, the earth, the rocks, the water, the air, each other. As a result, we can be confident that radiation at levels comparable to our background radiation is just simply cannot be damaging. And we have a proof. We're here, still here. And that's the best proof we could have. What else do we know? We know that the background radiation on the surface of the Earth varies. For example, a region in France has background radiation 30 times higher than we have here. In Sweden, it's 10 times higher. In Iran, it's 280 times higher. In Brazil, it's 350 times higher. Yet, these people you would expect they would be dying right and left from radiation, but they don't. They have exactly the same rates of cancer as we have here. Why is that? Recent, from various studies, we have concluded recently that approximately a radiation levels up to about a unit that does mean to you, 100 millisievert, and I'll make it, uh, i correct it later on, does not cause, seem to cause any damage to, to our body this is based on study going back for years starting from the Hiroshima to Taiwan, robot victims, to Chernobyl and all the groups that have had radiation more than background the body analysis is evolving now because uh, some scientists in Europe have uh, set a project to try to prove or disprove this 100 millisieverts uh, uh, limit we'll see what will happen at the same time several scientists from around the world have reported a proof and hold your chairs there that low level of radiation is actually beneficial. It, trains, it strengthens our immune system to repair more effectively the damaged cells. And that's why some doctors give you this radiation sometimes, if you have a problem, to strengthen the immune system to control the cancer. Now, what we don't know is what causes the, the cancers in our body. Because there are several factors that do cause them. It is radiation, one fact. Chemical. uh, It is the radiation from our own body. One atom emits another atom, and causes the atom to to uh, the cell to mutate and to become a cancer. So it's more an issue of the immune system. But that's a bit too complicated to touch now. What we don't know then is how the cancer. The cancer doesn't have a signature where it's coming from. How high is the radiation safe? And that's why the 100 millisieverts comes to be safe. Now, what is happening, though, we do know that stress causes a little bit. It has been said that stress causes some cancers. So think about it. Getting those people in Fukushima or in Chernobyl and sending them out in the countryside, a high-stress area, to save them for a minute amount of radiation on the other side. It just doesn't make sense to me. Research continues in these topics, but if you wonder how high is high, how low is how low, just give me a minute and you will see a, a table there. And I will have actually some table distributed around. Remember all the noise that was made quite justifiably about 30 years ago about the Chernobyl accident? Well, I'm sure that you will be surprised to know, today, if you were to spend one week vacation in the Gorapara Beach in Brazil, you will get a background radiation equivalent to spending... Two years in Pripyat, the town that is uh, one kilometer from Chernobyl. Just think about it. One week vacation in Brazil equals two years vacation in Chernobyl in terms of radiation. Despite in th- this knowledge, the nuclear industry still defines radiation danger to be anything above zero. And that is because of the defensive nature of the bureaucratic academic culture. And that zero is based on an arbitrary level chosen that they call ALARA a hypothesis. It's hypothesis, not fact. As and ALARA stands for as low as reasonably achievable. Why I call it unreasonable? Well, look at it another way. If someone falls from a ten-story building, will break every bone in his body. So here we pass a regulation to go automatically eliminate all staircases, all steps, all sidewalks because any height is dangerous doesn't make sense. Or because driving at high speeds, people have been killed. Then let's go and set the speed limit at zero kilometers per hour. Here we have a clear demonstration of the cultural traits of excellence in safety procedures and rigidity. If the industry had practiced more practical, less rigid thinking and excellence, the knowledge gap would have not been as large, and a lot of humans suffering, for example, the people of Fukushima today, could have been avoided. You see, the people were evacuated for radiation that exists much lower. As I mentioned, other people are living in other countries, much higher radiation. So, the units, let's go bananas what I've done is because of the radiation the industry has given us something like um, grays, curries, bickerels rotkins, rads, rams, sieverts and of course each one has the multiples, the decimals and then you have times of exposure seconds, hours, minutes days, years and so forth you have 200 different units to express radiation I mean, so I said okay, why can't we make a simple unit let's get the banana Banana has potassium and it is um, it's a, radioactive, it has a radioactive element. It contains about half, uh, 0.1 millisieverts uh, per year. So, so I put it that way. And if you want to find about that, it is in the, in the uh, Wikipedia. You can find Wikipedia potassium 40 and you can click to that and you can find it. And uh, then the... So, then the EPA has defined that the potassium stays in our body for about 30 days. Consequently, we have 0.1 millisiever per month if we eat one banana. Now, using that scale, I've drawn that scale and I give you a relative to the the radiation fields. These are occurring natural radiation. All this above is there. Those radiations there are the ones in Fukushima. Just compare them. From evacuation of Chernobyl so far, 33 years later, we have had about 140 people die from radiation. Not hundreds of thousands, not millions, just 140 people. In return, we had 10,000 evacuees died from fear-induced suicide, depression, and alcoholism. Now Chernobyl people are allowed to return. Now the same thing seems to be taking place in Japan from the Fukushima accident, we have had zero deaths from radiation. And we had 20,000 deaths due to earthquake. And now we have 90,000 evacuees, and that's my concern. I propose that these people don't suffer from radiation. They suffer from fear and intense radiophobia. The Japanese government here is not wrong. It simply complies with the international radiation protection recommendations that the nuclear industry has developed since the 50s. Are these a few examples to highlight the consequence of bureaucratic academic nature in the nuclear culture. And now it threatens 90,000 lives. The best evidence that we have for this thesis is the rapid progress that achieved in France. After they privatized the nuclear industry, the government became a partial shareholder so what that did, it added the business, the practical element to the bureaucratic academic culture. And that happened the same thing when bureaucratic I- I- academic uh, in- institutions joined private companies like in the US. Finally, in Canada, our government recently sold atomic energy to Canada, of Canada to a private consulting company, the SNC. And this provided me with some hope because this way the extremely strong technical bureaucratic academic entity of ACL is joining an extremely strong expert of architect engineering company and there is hope for it to be corrected thank you did I pass my time so much ok that's not bad